And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. And welcome to Connecting the Dots. Our guest today will be Dr. Robert Epstein. And Dr. Epstein is a clinical psychologist, a trained scientist, an author. Uh, he is an editor. Uh, he's written 15 books. This gentleman has really an amazing background. He worked with B.F. Uh, Skinner on uh, psychology uh, experiments and projects. He's been trained in an amazing array of different psychological uh, aspects. And uh, we're going to be talking about Google and the way that uh, Google manipulates uh, so much of the political spectrum by using something called search engine manipulation effect, S-E-M-E. And he's going to be talking about how many elections have been really manipulated by the use of uh, situational, uh, we would call it, I guess I would call it uh, algorithmic insurrection. And uh, Dr. Uh, Epstein, welcome to the program. I'm going to uh, go ahead and play the short video that uh, you did before the U.S. Senate. Uh, and that was about four years ago. We'll, I'm going to go ahead and play that uh, video before we start the discussion. It gives a pretty good lead in to exactly where we're going to be heading with this. I am indeed Dr. Robert Epstein. The most important thing for you to know about me is that I'm the father of five wonderful children. As it happens, I'm also a research psychologist at the American Institute for Behavioral Research and Technology. I have been center, center left my whole adult life, but I value my country and democracy more than I value any party or candidate. That is why I'm speaking out today. I'm here to explain why Google poses a serious threat to democracy, how monitoring systems can protect us from companies like Google, and how Congress can immediately end Google's worldwide monopoly on search. My plan for ending that monopoly was published just yesterday in Business Week, 
I respectfully request that my article be entered into the congressional record. It's attached to my full testimony. Uh, it will be entered without objection. I've been a research psychologist for nearly 40 years. My PhD is from Harvard, and since 1981, I've published extensively on AI and other topics. Some of my research has focused on Google, on the company's massive surveillance operations, censorship capabilities, and unprecedented ability to manipulate the thinking of 2.5 billion people, soon to be 4-plus billion. I've written article, articles about Google for Time Magazine, USA Today, that kind of thing, but also for The Daily Caller and even Russia's Sputnik News. I reach out to diverse audiences because I believe the threats posed by Google, and to a lesser extent Facebook, are so serious that everyone needs to know about them. Here are just three disturbing findings from my research which adheres to the very highest standards of scientific integrity. Number one, in 2016, Google's search algorithm likely impacted undecided voters in a way that shifted at least 2.6 million votes to Hillary Clinton, whom I supported. I know this because I preserved more than 13,000 election-related searches prior to Election Day, and Google's search results were significantly biased in favor of Secretary Clinton. I know the number of votes that shifted because I've conducted dozens of controlled experiments that measure how opinions shift when search results are biased. I call this shift SEAM, the Search Engine Manipulation Effect, which I first published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2015. Biased search results can easily produce shifts in the opinions and voting preferences of undecided voters by up to 80% in some demographic groups because people blindly trust high-ranking search results over lower ones. SEAM is an especially dangerous form of influence because it is, in effect, subliminal. It also leaves no paper trail for authorities to trace. It's an example of a short-lived or, quote, ephemeral experience. That's a phrase you'll find in internal emails that have leaked recently from Google. I'm now studying seven such manipulations, like SEAM, and unlike billboards or those Russian-placed ads, these manipulations are invisible and non-competitive. They're controlled entirely by big tech companies, and there is no way to counteract them. Number two, on Election Day in 2018, the Go Vote reminder that Google displayed on its home page gave one political party at least 800,000 more votes than it gave the other party. That reminder was not a public service. It was a vote manipulation. Number three, in the weeks leading up to the 2018 election, bias in Google search results may have shifted upwards of 78.2 million votes spread across many races to the candidates of one political party. This number is based on bias in data captured by my 2018 monitoring system, which preserved more than 47,000 election-related searches conducted by a diverse group of American voters. I know how to stop big tech in its tracks, and that brings me briefly here to monitoring systems and the proposal I published yesterday. A 2015 phone call from the Attorney General of Mississippi 
prompted me to start a years-long project in which I have learned how to capture online ephemeral experiences. In early 2016, I deployed a system that allowed my team to look over people's shoulders as they conducted online searches with their permission. I deployed a more sophisticated system in 2018, and I'm raising funds now to build a much more comprehensive system in 2020, one that will allow us to catch big tech in the act to instantly spot when Facebook is biasing news feeds or when Twitter is suppressing tweets sent by Ann Coulter or Elizabeth Warren. This system must be built to keep an eye on big tech in 2020 because if these companies all support the same candidate, they will have the power to shift 15 million votes to that candidate. To let big tech get away with subliminal manipulation on this scale would be to make the free and fair election meaningless. Finally, regarding yesterday's article, Congress can quickly end Google's worldwide monopoly on search by declaring Google's massive search index, the database the company uses to generate search results, to be a public commons, accessible, accessible by all, just as a 1956 consent decree forced AT&T to share all its patents. There is precedent in both law and Google's business practices to justify taking this step, which will make online search competitive again and dramatically diminish Google's power worldwide. In 1961, Eisenhower warned about the possible rise of a technological elite that would control public policy without people's awareness. That elite now exists, and you must determine where we go from here. Chairman Cruz, Ranking Member Hirono, Mrs. Blackburn, other members of the committee, democracy as originally conceived cannot survive big tech as currently empowered. I look forward to your questions. Thank you very much for that fascinating testimony. Uh, Dr. Epstein, I am absolutely fascinated by looking at some of the different videos that you've done. Uh, it's it's amazing, and and the thing that I like the most about this is that you're a good, solid, honest American. You are not allowing uh, politics or uh, influence affect your thoughts. You're doing this as a as a true American should do, and that is making sure that we have open and fair elections, no matter what party happens to be in power. That's exactly why we have programs like Connecting the Dots. We are here to try to bring truth to Americans. And frankly, big tech and big media are having a real, real difficult time in giving us that kind of honesty. Dr. Epstein, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. I really look forward to hearing your discussion. Well, thanks uh, so much for having me on your show. Can you can you hear and see me okay? Just want to make excellent. sure. Yep, excellent. Everything. Okay, great. Good. Uh, well, first thing I want to mention is uh, that uh, I testified again before Congress, uh, really just a few weeks ago uh, in uh, December of uh, 2023 uh, and that testimony there's a six minute video at 
2023 Epstein testimony.com. That's 2023 Epstein testimony.com. And I think that your audience might be interested in that because we have made so much progress uh, since uh, I testified in 2019. In 2019, I was uh, saying that we were planning on building a bigger monitoring system. Uh, back then, the biggest system we had built uh, had preserved 47,000 ephemeral experiences uh, on Google and, and Bing and Yahoo. And uh, <clears throat> that, so that was then. Uh, in my new testimony, I explained that um, in 20. 20, the 2020 presidential election, we preserved more than 1.5 million ephemeral experiences, uh, and we focused on four swing states. So we had a tremendous amount of data regarding the manipulation of the 2020 election. And I also reported that in 2022, uh, we had an, we set up an even bigger system and we preserved in the midterms more than 2.5 2.5 million ephemeral experiences on Google and other platforms. Uh, so we had incredible documentation in both 2020 and 2022. In 2020, uh, we estimated that Google, Google alone had shifted more than 6 million votes to Joe Biden, whom I supported. And uh, that's a lot of votes because Biden won the popular vote uh, by about 8 million votes, and uh, most of those votes actually uh, came from Google. If Google had stayed out of that election, the popular vote would have been very, very close. Uh, and in 2020, Trump won five out of 13 swing states. If you factor out Google, you pull Google out of those swing states, Trump would have won 11 out of those 13 swing states and easily would have won the electoral college and the presidency. So, uh, and of course, what I'm trying to say is that we had set up such a big system at that point, we didn't have a few dozen field agents, we call them. Uh, we had 1,735 registered voters in uh, mainly in swing states, and we were monitoring big tech content through all of those computers. In 2022, we were monitoring this content through the computers of uh, more than 2,000 registered voters. And that's not the end, because in 2023, we decided, I decided, that a time had come to set up a permanent large-scale monitoring system in all 50 states. And we uh, have, have set up, and I announced this to Congress in 2023, we have now set up America's Digital Shield. It's at America's, with an S, digitalshield.com. We have set up a permanent system running in all 50 states. We are monitoring now big tech content 24 hours a day through the computers of more than 13,000 registered voters uh, in all 50 states. If you go to americasdigitalshield.com, you can see in real time the data we're collecting, how much data we're collecting, I think we're past 74 million ephemeral experiences. You can actually watch the numbers increasing second by second. And we also show the political bias in the content that Google and other companies are sending to voters. 
We also are showing now for the first time disturbing content that YouTube, which is part of Google, is sending to our children. So we have gotten we've gotten so far past you know what I had reported in 2019, uh, building this new system that costs three million dollars to set up that system, uh, all money donated by concerned citizens, and uh, you know we we need to build that system much larger now, because we know how to protect the 2024 presidential election. We're collecting so much data, which is a tremendous threat to these tech companies, that we now have the ability to protect the 2024 elections from interference by big tech. And we know how to protect our children as well. So that's what I'm here today to talk about is where we are now and uh, how big we want to build the system in coming months and uh, the fact that we need help. Uh, you know, from from your audience and from all Americans to help uh, expand the system further. Well, uh, Dr. Epstein, I have to tell you, your your research is amazing. And the fact that you've been willing to do this, I'm going to make this statement because I heard this through uh, a mutual friend that you have been very unfairly attacked and have been uh, really had a lot of problems uh, levied at you, a lot of uh, issues levied at you, because you are providing a threat to the continuation of a very, very debauched system. Is that a fair statement? Well, yes, unfortunately. Uh, yes, unfortunately it is. I, I have paid a price. Some of my staff have paid a, a terrible price for uh, doing the work we do, we're we're the only research team in the world that does the work we do. That that measures uh, the power that these tech companies have to to change uh, thinking and behavior and opinions and beliefs and votes. We're the only team in the world that does this research. We publish our research in peer-reviewed journals. It's extremely rigorous research, and we're the only group in the world that's ever set up a monitoring system. Uh, to see what content these companies are sending to real voters. There have been silly studies done here and there uh, by people trying to supposedly trying to to see whether there's any political bias on uh, on Google. Those are literally silly studies because they're not looking at content going to real voters. They're just looking at content going to uh, you know, a single anonymized computer that that's completely worthless. Uh, those those studies, some of them were funded by Google An anonymized computer doesn't tell you anything because all the all the content that Google and Facebook sends to people is all personalized. It's customized. The only way to see what they're really doing is by looking over the shoulders of real people, of real voters of course, with their permission, mm-hmm. and talk about getting attacked. Uh, when I testified just a few weeks ago, uh, Senator Amy Klobuchar, a Democrat, was the chair of that uh, judici- uh, Senate Judiciary Committee that where I testified. And after my testimony, she actually said on the record and g- gave me no chance to reply, she said on the record that uh, that my system 
uh, was dangerous because we're looking over the shoulders of real people as they're using their computers. She she somehow missed the the phrase where I I said in my testimony, just like the Nielsen Company does with real television viewers. Okay. I mean, Nielsen's been doing this since 1950. They do it with the permission of people watching television. And when we're monitoring content from people's computers, we're doing that with their permission, of course. Mm -hmm. And not only that, when we transmit data from their computers, we're transmitting it without any identifying information. We never, ever violate anyone's privacy, never. We do the exact opposite of what Google and Facebook do to bring in you know hundreds of billions of dollars in revenue each year. We never violate anyone's privacy. But Klobuchar actually attacked my work, undermined every undermined my work completely by saying we're somehow violating privacy. Uh, and again, I had no chance to reply to her uh, at that hearing. But if you if you want to see what I actually said on the record and the fact that I really did mention the Nielsen Company as a comparison to what we do, uh, you go to 2023epsteintestimony.com. Dot com. That's 2023epsteintestimony.com. It's a six-minute video uh, from, uh, from C-SPAN. And, uh, yes, I've paid a price. And my staff has paid a price. Uh, what we're doing really is extremely dangerous. Uh, some of what we do, we have to do, uh, you know, with all kinds of protections in place. Uh, we've had some – there have been some accidents – there have been uh, there's been a death. Uh, there's been a an attack with a with a knife, and wow. someone was severe severely injured. Uh, there's uh, you know, look, there's a lot at stake here. I, I I get it, but why we're the only team in the world that's doing this important work? I that I don't understand. And when I was on Joe Joe Rogan's show, that's what was really bothering him because he kept bringing that up is why aren't more people doing this? Well, actually, <clears throat> you know, with all the grants there are out there, and I mean, there are literally uh, trillions of dollars in grant money out there with all the money that's out there. Why isn't the government who insists that they are the ones that want open and fair elections why aren't they funding your work and supporting your work? Well, that's pretty pretty obvious. Uh, they the, the government uh, doesn't want this kind of research to be conducted. We've never been able to get even a dime uh, in government money. So uh, all the money that we've had uh, donated, which is uh, more than three million dollars last year, that's that's what allowed us to build this, um, America's digital shield. And close to a million dollars so far this year, but that's that's way, way, way short of what we need uh, to make the system uh, powerful enough to stop these companies. Let me explain. We're currently getting data now. If you go to americasdigitalshield.com, you can actually watch the data coming in and see the political bias. And you can actually see elections that have been flipped by Google. Uh but uh, all the data coming in, it's, yes, it's coming in from all 50 states. It's a lot of data. But we have uh, court admissible data so far, not in 50 states, but only 15 states. Mm -hmm. 
So to, to have court admissible data, we have to have certain minimum numbers. We have to have representative samples in each state. So in other words, our system, as big as it is, uh, needs to be much, much bigger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's going to require a tremendous amount of uh, uh, of money. And we're, you know, we're, we're out there, we're, we're, we're talking to people and foundations and so on, uh, trying to get, uh, you know, the money that we need. But the fact is, if you're, if your audience wants to help, uh, we, we've, we've built a special website. We call our, these field agents, by the way, these, these very patriotic people who let us monitor big tech content through their computers. We call them our watchdogs. So if you go to feed the watchdogs, uh, com, feed the watchdogs.com, uh, you can actually, uh, uh, sponsor one of these field agents, which is uh, which involves a tax deductible donation of twenty five dollars a month, and you can sponsor one of these field agents. And if we have tens of thousands of Americans sponsoring our field okay. agents, that brings our costs obviously way down. And you know we don't need to be begging, um, you know, very wealthy people and foundations uh, for money. Uh, and, and this system really should be supported by the American people. And, you know, we've had tens of thousands of people donating money, but we now, we now need people to kind of sign up to, you know, to commit to make monthly donations to, to support these field agents or our watchdogs. And by the way, this is a point where I know people are saying, well, I'll, I'll volunteer, I'll do it for nothing. And we get people every single day, wonderful people offering to volunteer, but we can't take volunteers. And the reason is very simple, because if we took volunteers, Google would send us thousands of volunteers. Google employs outside of the company more than 16,000 people they call their consultants, and they would send us thousands of volunteers. And from those computers, from their computers, we would get nothing. Garbage. We would see no bias at all. By the way, we've we've actually tried this. We've actually tried this, uh, deliberately signing up people uh, that are coming from Google. And, and guess what? They get perfectly clean data that's totally unbiased. <laughs> Imagine that. And Google can control that. And they take pride in personalizing the content that they send out. Obviously, Facebook does too. So think about that. We can't take volunteers. So what we have to do is we literally call up registered voters. Uh, We have a big recruiter team and they call up registered voters one by one by one by one by one. It takes about a hundred calls to find one person who's willing to sign up and sign an NDA, let us install special uh, equipment, uh, special software on their computers, and in some cases now on their children's computers as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a tremendously labor-intensive, expensive process. The good news is once we've signed them up, okay, that's that's where the big effort takes place. But once we've signed them up, got them with the spe- you know got the software working, uh, trained them. And so they're really on board now with us. Once we've done that, uh, all we pay them, just like just like the Nielsen company, you know, with its television viewers, we only pay them twenty five dollars a month 
And so we're paying them very little. It's a token fee to thank them for their for their help. And we think we can get, we're hoping we can get tens of thousands of Americans to to sign up and and make that monthly donation. So that's the way people can help. They can't volunteer to be watchdogs or field agents. That that won't work because Google would send us people, but they can help cut our costs way down this system has to be permanent it has to be self-sustaining it can't just we can't just set it up election by election and have it fall apart you know and, and take it down again no this system has to run year round because it has to protect voters adults children from every kind of shenanigan that these companies wants to perpetrate. Okay, it has to be a permanent system monitoring. If you're going to allow an internet to exist and you're going to allow it to be dominated by by a couple of big monopolies, which never should have been allowed, by the way, never should have been allowed. The the internet should have been what it was meant to be, a, a kind of, you know, a kind of playground where everyone has equal status and equal power that's what that's the way it was envisioned and instead we, we our our leaders allowed it mainly because they were getting money in their pockets okay mainly from google uh and facebook they allowed it to 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 be dominated by two large monopolies and those large monopolies dominate not just the internet in the united states they dominate the internet around the world, every single place there is in the world outside of mainland China, which of course has its own mm-hmm. very, very aggressive way of controlling people through technology. Uh, and they've had help from Google, by the way, in, in building their systems. So, but everywhere outside of mainland China, it's, we're talking about at this point in time, these two companies controlling thinking and behavior of more than five billion people. Now think about that. When I testified in uh, 2019, uh, I said 2.5 billion. I said soon to be 4 billion. We're now past 5 billion people Mm -hmm. that these companies are very deliberately influencing, very deliberately influencing 24 hours a day. And if you think I'm making that up, okay, well, Look at some of the things that the whistleblowers from these companies have told us, because they basically said exactly what I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, 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 a movie that went on to uh, Netflix. It's called The Social Dilemma, and it focuses around a former Google employee named Tristan Harris, whom I know. And Tristan Harris worked for Google, and what he was on a team of people that was literally altering the behavior and thinking and emotions of, he said, more than a billion people. Mm-hmm. Look at what the whistleblowers have been telling us. Look at the leaks from the company. The leaks tell us, confirm what I'm saying. In 2018, there was a leak of emails from Google to the Wall Street Journal. And those emails were discussing how can we use, now, now this is, this absolutely made my head spin when I saw this. (laughs) How can we use ephemeral experiences? That's their phrase. Mm -hmm. How can we use ephemeral experiences to change people's views about Trump's travel ban? 
Those are actual emails from inside the company. In other words, I've been studying the power of ephemeral experiences online to change people's thinking and their voting preferences. I've been studying that uh, since 2013 and publishing my, my findings in peer-reviewed journals. And here, leaking from Google in 2018, I'm seeing that they actually use this terminology inside the company. Okay, I'll give you a third example. Amazing. A leak of a video from Google called The Selfish Ledger. If you go, if you look up The Selfish Ledger and then my name, so you put in Robert Epstein, put in transcript, uh, you should be able to find, and please don't use Google to look these things up because <laughs> you should not be using Google.com, okay? that's We'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. But you should find it, uh, uh, not only links to that video that leaked, which is an eight-minute video. It's, uh, it's called The Selfish Ledger, which is an idiotic name, but that's beside the point. You will find the video, but you'll also find my transcript, I made a transcript and I annotated the transcript to point out certain things that are in that video. That video, which was prepared by the Google's advanced products division, talks about the company's ability to re-engineer humanity. Mm-hmm. This is not paranoia. This is fact. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is Conspiracy. <laughs> this is a conspiracy. This is yeah. real. And it's operating at an extremely large scale, mm. much larger and much more powerful kinds of manipulative, manipulative abilities than have ever existed before in human history. Much more impact on far more people than than Hitler had, than any any than Mussolini had, than any any uh, dictator has ever had. And that's that's the power that these companies, Google more than the others, have. And they're not just talking about it. They're using this power. Mm-hmm. How do I know that we're using this power? Because we've been building larger and larger monitoring systems. And if you go to americasdigitalshield.com, that's Americas with an S, americasdigitalshield.com, you will see the massive amounts of data that we are preserving. We're preserving ephemeral content. Hmm. Okay, let me explain. Ephemeral content. What does that even mean? Why is that so important? Because, and, and why, why are Google, pe- Google employees talking about how can we use ephemeral experiences to change people's thinking and behavior? How, what does that mean? Ephemeral content is the temporary, the fleeting content that you see when you're online. So if you go online and you ha- and you use foolishly use Google.com, which you should never use again, if you do that and you type in a search term, first of all, they're flashing at you search suggestions. They're flashing at you things, phrases they want you to click on. Uh, they're not doing this to help you. They're doing this to manipulate you. Mm-hmm. We have shown just by manipulating those search suggestions that, that Google can turn a 50-50 split among undecided voters, not, not committed voters, but undecided voters, people trying to make up their minds, they can turn a 50-50 split among undecided voters into a 90-10 split with no one having the slightest idea that they've been manipulated. All right, so 
ephemer- those, those search suggestions, they're ephemeral. They're ephemeral. They're fleeting. They disappear. Mm-hmm. Once they disappear, they're gone. They're not stored anywhere. Guess what? We're capturing them mm-hmm. in our monitoring system. Even though they're fleeting, they only there for less than a second. We're capturing them by the millions and analyzing them. All right, let's say you click on one of them. So you're doing what Google wants you to do, and you're clicking on one of their search suggestions. They're doing that just <laughs> they're doing that to manipulate you, not to help you. Now they now they display search results down below. Well, where did they come from? Well, Google picks them from among billions. Why are they picking those? Why are they putting them in that order? They're not doing it to help you. They're doing it to manipulate you. So it, it turns out that that when there's bias in search results, it turns out that, that when there is bias, which there usually is, guess which way the bias leans politically? It leans left. Now, I happen to lean left personally. Mm-hmm. So I go, hooray for Google. Then I say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to praise them for that because, you know, that is that is deception. That is a highly deceptive way to manipulate people. I don't want our democracy invalidated, undermined, turned into a joke by a private company that's not accountable to the public. So I, 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 at first for a second, I go, hooray. And then I go, well, no, mm-hmm. that is not acceptable. That's that what's unique about this country is it's government, the freedom of speech that we have, which, which they're suppressing. Mm-hmm. Okay. It, what's unique here is that we have free and fair elections, the freest and fairest elections in the world, but they're not free and fair anymore because right. Google is shifting so many votes. Now, I know I have at this point a lot of conservative friends because a lot of my liberal friends won't even talk to me because I think I'm trying to help conservatives. I am not trying to help conservatives. Not at all. I'm trying to preserve the free and fair election. I'm trying to stop Google and other companies from manipulating the minds of our children. I'm not trying to help conservatives. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to help America. I'm trying to help our country. I'm trying to be I'm trying to be a good American as we all should be. And good Americans should put the country ahead of any particular party or candidate. You know, our founding fathers were vehemently opposed to the party system. George right. Washington thought that it, w- it would it would cause Americans to clash against each other and to dehumanize other Americans, which is exactly what has happened. Thomas Jefferson said, if the only way I could get to heaven would be to join a party, I wouldn't go. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm with those guys. Okay, I don't like this party stuff. I don't like Americans dehumanizing uh, other Americans, which is exactly what, what's happening now, More probably more than ever. The party system has torn us apart, mm-hmm. which, which, which means that's a threat to the country. Because this country, the whole point of it was e pluribus unum, out of many, one. Okay? Divided we fall, united we stand. Right? That's the whole the whole point is for us mm-hmm. to be Americans first and not to be dumping on each other, which is what I see happening in the news every single day. Anyway. I agree. I agree. That's, that's why I do the work 
that I do. And that's why I can look yeah. at what a company like Google is doing. And instead of saying, hooray, I go, no, this is unacceptable, unacceptable. Mm-hmm. They have they have made the free and fair election meaningless because they can shift so many votes. How many votes can they shift in 2024 in the presidential election? Okay, Google alone. Now, this is not me and, again, some sort of conspiracy thinking this is conspiracy theory thinking this is this is based on rock solid rigorous scientific research which has been going on now for more than 11 years and i'll say for the fifth time when we publish in peer-reviewed journals which is very hard to do mm-hmm. it's very hard to do these top journals they accept five percent of the papers that are submitted and and getting going through that process, you have to go through multiple revisions. It's very, very difficult, and you're subject to extreme scrutiny. The point is that we know beyond any shadow of a doubt that Google has the power in 2024 to shift between 6.4 million and 25.5 million votes. That's in the 2024 presidential election. That's if we don't do something about it. Now, is Congress going to suddenly pass a law? Are our regulators going to suddenly create a regulation? Nope, nope, mm-hmm. nope. And that's pa- partly because of that darn party system that George Washington objected to, because they're just frozen. They're just spending all their time. They spend most of their time attacking each other rather than actually doing good things for this country. And fundraising. <laughs> and fundraising. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we yeah. learned that the hard way. So we can't mm-hmm. go to we can't go to politicians to help us raise money to do our research and you know build our monitoring system because they're 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 raising money, you know, while in their sleep they're raising money. They're just they're, that's mm-hmm. all what they're all about is raising money for themselves. So, well, Dr. Epstein, I'm going to give you a little chance to get a, a, a drink here and take a break. But I, I uh, the reason I wanted you on is because I applaud the fact that you came from a very liberal uh, political background. My family uh, did as well. Uh, and, and yet you are speaking very openly about this because it is so incredibly unfair. And it is the future of our country. If we don't do something about this now, our country will not have a future as a free and open society and, a, a, as you said, a democratic republic because we no longer will be represented by people who are there to serve us. It'll be the other way around. And I I mentioned this earlier, but I want people to understand, you were the editor-in-chief of Psychology Today. You have literally worked in academia and throughout the country at just about every level of the scientific and educational community, your credentials are impeccable, and you are standing here before the American people on this program talking about how important it is to get our elections straight because with Google and Facebook, we know that Twitter was part of this process. They were. Uh, 
this is all part of a system to literally control human minds and the psychology of the the American people. And I know you're doing this as well in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, some of the pedophilia stuff that's going on and the psychology that's being used against our children. And we've done a number of programs on this uh, on this very subject about how they're destroying our, our children through all this suggestive material that they're promoting. We're collecting the evidence. That's right. That's that's one of our new projects. It's our youth youth content project. And again, if you go to americasdigitalshield.com, you actually see really frightening, terrifying examples of content that YouTube is showing to children. Uh, and we're we're monitoring content now uh, going to children as young as five years old. This is with their parents' permission. But we're actually collecting real content, real content being recommended by YouTube's recommender algorithm, that up next kind of recommendation that, that plays automatically if you don't do anything. We're, we're preserving those recommendations. Those recommendations are personalized and ephemeral. It's more ephemeral content. We are preserving those recommendations and the content that they're sending to our kids. This is, you know, the world has has shifted under our feet and we didn't notice and we weren't paying attention. And that's where we now are now. And that's what I'm trying to stop. That's a problem with the American people is we are way too trusting and sometimes we're a little bit intellectually lazy and we allow other people to do things that really control what we do without even thinking about the 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 effects the side effects the problems that are being produced uh, that's why it's so important what you're doing well here's here's a shocker for you the most uh trusting group we've ever found uh, since we started this research, and this is more than 11 years, the most trusting group we ever found, the group that's most vulnerable to these manipulations, are moderate Republicans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's talk about search engine uh, manipulation effect because that's a that's a big deal and a lot of people don't understand how that ordering process works and why it's so important now you did uh, we got a little brief discussion of it in your senate testimony but i don't think a lot of people realize how important it is to be at the very top of the search engine order so maybe explain that if you would to our to our viewers sure uh let me let me point out too that there is a a, a really superb documentary film uh which explains this with all kinds of beautiful diagrams which i did not make uh this film was produced by peter schweitzer who's a well-known journalist and author he uh, he's the one who wrote that book called clinton cash uh, he's also a hell of a nice guy. He's become a good friend over the years. But he he produced a film called The Creepy Line. And you can watch the whole film now for free. Uh, you had to go before you had to pay or see it in a theater. But uh, now you can watch the whole film, which which explains my research. It makes it it makes it really, really, really understandable. 
really understandable. You go to creepyline.org, creepyline.org. Okay. Creepy Line, absolutely worth it. Full documentary film. It's like a, a, an hour and a half long that is will scare the hell out of you. And it really explains my research well. So now I'm going to explain it not as well because the the film has all kinds of wonderful diagrams and things, you know. I'm just going to explain it as best I can. People trust what's at the top of that list. 50% of all clicks go to the top two search items when you do a search. 95% of clicks go to items on the first page, meaning very few people go beyond that first page. That's why businesses pay companies, they're called SEO companies, and they pay them billions of dollars to try to push them up a notch mm -hmm. if they can on Google because that can increase sales by 30%, just, go, just jumping up a notch. And if they drop down or, heaven forbid, they they, they they get knocked off the first page of search results, that could mean the difference between their survival of their company and the and bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. So people trust what's at the top. Now, first question you could ask is, well, why do people trust what's at the top? Well, first of all, we're all kind of lazy. Uh, so what the, it's at the top is what you read first. There is that. But it turns out, uh, in fact, we have new research that's about to be published. It's, uh, no, in fact, it just got published. It just got published. That's exactly on this topic. Uh, people trust what's at the top because 86% of the searches that we conduct are for simple facts. What is the capital of Kansas? I don't actually know. But the point is, if I, if I type that in on a search engine... Google or in, or the others, and don't use Google, please, because it's a surveillance platform. But the point is, if I type that in, I'm going to get the answer right at the top. Mm -hmm. So 86% of the time people are typing in search terms, they see the answer right at the top. So at this point, they're like rats in a Skinner box. And I know all about that because I was I know you Skinner's do. last doctoral student at Harvard. Mm -hmm. And we are rats in a Skinner box. We're being trained over and over and over again. It never stops to trust what's at the top because we keep finding the correct answer right at the top. So it's, this is conditioning. It's called operant conditioning. And we're all conditioned just like rats in a Skinner box. Now, the other 14% of the time, though, we're typing in open-ended questions that don't have an exact answer. What's the best uh, Italian restaurant, you know, in Kansas? Mm. Uh, that's open-ended. There's no uh, correct answer. And Google can show you anything it wants. If you ask a question about the border, ask a question about uh, abortion, immigration, uh, anything about any political candidate, those are all open-ended questions. If you're trying to decide who to vote for and you, you do some online research, you're asking open-ended questions. You're trying to make up your mind. You know, you're on the fence. And guess what? You're going to trust what's at the top. And Google knows that. And so Google, when, you, when they show you search results... Okay, they could give they could show you unbiased search results. It's not impossible, but that's not what they do. They actually show you search results that favor one political candidate or favor one party. Mm -hmm. Period. 
if you go to americasdigitalshield.com, you'll actually see, based on real data that we're collecting right now from the computers of registered voters, but we're literally taking what's on their screens and we're aggregating it, and you will see the political bias in Google's search results right this minute. Mm. And guess what? It's liberal. It's left. Okay. It's blue. And you'll see on our, on our webpage, if you see blue on those graphs, then that's what you're seeing. You're seeing political bias that's in one direction. There's also an, an amazing uh, set of images. There's a, uh, of the whole United States. The one, the one on the left is showing you the, something you've seen before, which states are red, which ones are blue, which ones are kind of, you know, undecided. There's a, you know, a few purple states. Mm-hmm. But the, the graph right, uh, the, the image on the right is showing you in all 50 states the political bias that Google is sending to people in those states right now. Now, uh, a couple of months ago when we launched this system, when we went live with it, uh, all 50 states were blue. Think about that. Wow. They're, they're sending, they're sending to, to, to red states, they're sending political bias content that leans left. That, what does that mean? That means that if you click on something near the top of a list of search results, it's going to take you to a web page that's probably coming from a liberal news source. You're going to be getting that. Ba- you're going to be getting content that's leaning in one direction. Now, if you are a hardcore conservative, that's not going to affect you at all. It might make you a little angry, but it's not going to affect your voting preferences. They're not, but they're not after you. They're after the people who are on the fence, people who can be influenced, and they know exactly who those people are. How do they know? Because of the surveillance, because they're reading your emails, they're keeping a, a record of your search history. Uh, they're looking at how you use Google Maps. They're looking at your donations. They're looking at every single thing there is about you 24 hours a day. So they know who the people are who are vulnerable, who can be influenced, and they are sending bias search results. So what we discovered in our early experiments was that if you show people bias search results, you can change, and they're and they're undecided to begin with, you can change their voting preferences. You can push them off the fence in either direction. That's what we showed in our first experiments. Now, our very first experiment we ever ran, which is early 2013, I thought if we randomly assign people to different groups, one group is pro-candidate A, one is pro-candidate B, the third group is neither one, so it's a control group. I thought we could probably shift people by 2 or 3%. So in other words, 2 or 3% of the people that we're doing this to, I thought would actually, we, we, we could push them one way or the other. Uh, wow, I was completely wrong. In that very first experiment, the shift we got was 43%. That's amazing. 43%. Now, which I thought was an error, obviously. If you're, if you're uh, doing scientific work, you have to be very skeptical. That's, that's, at, that's at the heart of good science. You're very skeptical. In other words, I'm my own worst critic, always. Mm-hmm. 
So 42%, okay, got to be an error. So we repeated it. Now, we're not, we were not doing this with college sophomores, by the way. We were doing this with a mix of people who look like the American voter in age and in gender and in income, every way we, that we could uh, control. Very, very mixed group of people who, rep, who look like the American voter. So we repeated the experiment. We got a shift of 66%. Wow. And I went, what? <laughs> Literally, I'm thinking, you know, two mm -hmm. or 3% is what we could shift, which, by the way, doesn't sound like much, but a lot of elections are very close. So if you can shift two or 3% of undecided voters, uh, you, could you could make a difference in a close election, right? You could flip it one way or the other. Sure. But if you're getting shifts of 43%, 66%, well, overall, we, we ran experiments uh that uh, at one point we ran a, a nationwide experiment with people from all 50 states. We ran a big experiment in India uh, with people from throughout India, more than 2,000 people, right in the middle of a real election. Overall, what we showed is that, that if there's bias in search results, number one, people can't see it. How would you see it? You couldn't see it. You'd have to, you'd have to click on all the items and check all the web pages and then you'd have to rate all the web pages. I mean, really. So you can't see this kind of bias. Most people can't see it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we figured, basically, bottom line, is that biased search results can easily produce shifts among undecided voters of between 20 and 80%. Between 20 and 80% with no one knowing. Wow. Now, when we ran that big nationwide study, we had so many people that, in fact, we did have a small group, about 8% of our, our participants, who claimed they did see bias in our search results. Okay, that makes sense. It's possible. Some people are very, you know, skeptical themselves, and maybe they're double-checking. And so they say, well, wait, these, these, these are biased search results. So... You would think now that they are immune, right? They're protected because they can see the bias. That's not what we found. We found the exact opposite, that people who could see the bias shifted even farther in the direction of the bias. Wow. So in other words, being, being, seeing the bias doesn't protect you from it because basically people are saying, hey, look, the algorithm, whatever that is, the mm -hmm. computer the computer program, whatever that is, is favoring candidate A. So candidate A really must be good because, of course, computers are, what are they? They're supposedly unbiased. They're supposedly <laughs> mm -hmm. objective, impartial. So, which is, by the way, absolutely ridiculous because, you know, behind the scenes, there are programmers. A programmer, yeah. The programmers are people, mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, the, the, this, this crazy idea we have that computers are, are impartial <clears throat> is absolutely <clears throat> wrong. Sure, if they're doing a, a calculation with some numbers, uh, that's, that's, that's different. But if you're asking an open-ended question about candidates, uh, you're, you're seeing the bias. The, you're seeing the bias of the programmers. Mm -hmm. You're seeing the bias of the company that hires the programmers. 
So that's the search engine manipulation effect. Mm -hmm. And again, bottom line is that biased search results can shift the voting preferences of between 20 and 80% of undecided voters. But that was just the first discovery. And since then, we've discovered about a dozen techniques like this, and they all have names. Uh, targeted messaging effect, search suggestion effect, uh, DDE is crazy name. It's differential demographics effect. We have so we've discovered a number of techniques like this, which are exclusively controlled by these big tech companies. And again, we do controlled experiments. We present them at scientific meetings. We publish in uh, peer review journals. We go through that peer review process. All the the rigor, the revisions that you have to do. And we are making good progress scientifically, but the, but the, but unfortunately what we're finding is terrifying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Epstein, I, I wanted to, uh, uh, I have Jody and uh, Ken Zicko are, are going to join us because this is a, a group uh, called United Sovereign Americans. And they have been uh, forming organizations all over the country to try to, uh, from a little different standpoint, to try to uh, bring fairness back into elections. And Ken and Jody are both uh, trained as architects, but they ended up uh, getting involved in information technology uh, as part of their training, and they've actually done experiments. They've done a lot of tracking in the state of Illinois. And I think it's really important for everybody to realize how many people are out there, like yourself, like the Zitkos, uh, that are trying to get fairness back into our elections. And I'll give you a little bit of a break. Uh, it, I'd, I'd like maybe, uh, if you would stay with us, please. Sure, I'd like sure. to uh, have uh, Ken and Jody talk about their experience in the state of Illinois, because they found very, very similar things in the state of Illinois coming at it from a little bit different background. Uh, Ken and Jody, welcome to the program. Um, we, we, <laughs> this has been a fascinating discussion. I hope you did uh, get a chance to uh, look at uh, Dr. Epstein's work. It's incredible. And what we're doing now is trying to lay, I guess, what I would call a groundwork of support so that we can try to get uh, support for his work, for your work, get people to get off their butt and realize that we're at a point in our nation's history if we don't do everything, and I mean everything in our power, to take our election process back we will never, ever again see an open and fair and free election. Uh, Ken, Jody, welcome to the program. Please uh, join in. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, I do want to say I saw, I've seen some clips um, of Robert Epstein, some of the hearing and um, some of the information. I've seen that. So we're, we're fairly aware of the work preceding actually us even being involved with United Sovereign Americans. And so um, it's people like um, Dr. Epstein uh, that kind of kept, kept us like it, it's that type of, okay, somebody is actually bringing this to our attention. It is real. We're on the right 
track, keep going. Um, so I just, you know, I want to thank you for that because it, it's essential to those of us who kind of come after you <laughs> in terms of understanding, Hey, cause the gaslighting is ex extraordinary. Um, and people, I think a lot of people don't realize that, that there's so much of it and it makes it really hard to be on this journey and continue to press forward with the truth. And, um, so anyway, here we are right. trying right. to, trying to share the truth. And it really is difficult when you think you see something going on, but you know, the media and everybody is telling you something different. It's very unnerving. So, you know, we see that all the time people are coming up to us talking about how, you know, they were convinced 2020 was, uh, a disaster, but after three years of listening to everything failing and the news telling them different, they start to doubt themselves. Mm -hmm. So it is very important for, for us to speak the truth when we know it and share it with as many people as we can. Right. So, um, for new viewers who didn't see us on earlier, um, we basically in, in, 2020, we saw what happened and with many years of data analytics and analysis and so forth of our, in our own careers, right away, we kind of knew, all right, the data from our perspective, the answer is going to be in the data as far as what's really going on in our elections. And we spent the larger part of 2021 saying, how can we get involved? Who can we help? What can we do to share our, our expertise and our knowledge to help you know, help get to the bottom of what's going on. And so late 21, early 22, we engaged a, a person who was running for Senate in Illinois uh, for, for federal office. And um, really he joined the race to get a hold of our voter rolls because at the time that was the only way um, an individual could gain access to our voter rolls. And so, um, that was in like January of 22. And before we got started, we were part of the group, but he kind of had a little idea of what our background was, but he did share with us our voter histories um, individually. And so we weren't the best voters. Um, we only voted every four years, like a lot of Americans do in the presidential elections. And so we never voted in midterm and sure enough, on our records, both of us had votes in 2010, 14, and 18. Those were all midterm elections. And so, um, and then Ken had a vote missing from 2008. So we saw that, we got very upset. And then from a data analytics perspective, we went, what are the chances? What are the odds that this is just an anomaly that both of us have this? We live in the same household. We vote in the same precinct. We vote in the same county. Um, really you know so ultimately we wanted to find out if we were alone you know if this was just because we kind of were starting to understand the election laws and listening and hearing what people were saying and understanding that maybe as two voters we're not going to the answer to us would be so what you're not going to impact the outcome of the election so we're sort of dismissed in our claim um, as a result of that but in the end, we decided we were going to go follow this individual on the campaign trail and go to meet and greets. And Ken, being a um, data architect with MS SQL um, background, he was able to build reporting queries that essentially 
just reported off the raw data that was given to us directly from the State Board of Elections. So it's the file as is from them. And we essentially went out on the road and um, offered people their voting histories if they wanted. And we asked them that they show their ID and validate that they are the voter before we shared it with them and then sat down and went through our own assessment in those three to four months in 2022 and came to find out we weren't alone. Um, there was well over, what was the statistic in, in that about effort? About 57%. Right, about 57% had irregularities. Some were votes added, like we had, as well as votes missing when the person voted. Um, there were other anomalies that we were able to see on the backside of the report. We de-identified data and allowed the voter to see if there are other, who's the registered voter by age and sex in their home. And um, we're able to see that there were people voting in their home that didn't, you know, they're like, there's only my husband and I. And so there were other voters voting in their home. So we were starting to see those patterns um, as well as other anomalies like registration dates that didn't make sense. And so um, from there, the candidate didn't make it through the primary. So we stopped. You know, that was that was sort of the end of the road for that and then spent some time working with local grassroots on poll watching. And um, in the summer of 22, though, we were able to connect with Marley Hornick out of New York Citizens Audit out of New York and shared some of our findings. And they shared some of their findings where they were at at the time. And um, we remain connected all of, you know, from 22 to 23 and in late spring, Marley reached out and said, I'm starting this national project. Do you all want to get involved? And she kind of high level shared with us what it would entail and um, which Ken can get in some of those details, but um, we were in, we were, we, we had spent a year plus wondering whether or not the information we had observed through those efforts in 22 would would ever see the light of day again um but anyway so i don't know if you want to share. right so you know the, the biggest thing was it was a new approach and uh you know dr epstein i'm sure you uh, had the experience of sharing the things you knew understanding that there were you know, you're, you're delivering factual information and still people either behave like they don't understand or they just doubt it. You know, it's different than what almost everybody else is telling them. So how could you be right when everybody else says something different? So they had this, this new approach. So instead, you know, everybody was going after 2020 in particular and you name the anomaly, they would set it up and here, look at every county in the state, 49% to 51%. 51%, how could that be, you know? And while, how could that be? Probably can't be, but it's not against the law. So the conversation's all anecdotal and it doesn't have a good uh, angle to get into the legal system and make any progress. So here instead, we're taking a, a very, very simple approach where we just want elections to follow the current law that's already in place. And not that we think those laws are great, they definitely are not, but we should at least be following the laws that we have to work with now, and, and we don't. And that's sort of the core of the project. There's four basic tenets. We go through the voter roll and the history data that comes from the state and evaluate. The first uh, tenant is, are the voter rolls accurate? The second is, are eligible voters voting? 
The third is, does the count of votes match the number of voters who voted? And the fourth gets a little more complicated. It works from off of HAVA, the Help America Vote Act, defines an error rate of one in 125,000 ballots. So, uh, you know, for whatever reason, a uh, uh, person moved, but they, they didn't share that they moved and they voted in the wrong place, or they're not a citizen or, or what have you. Uh, we're allowed one in 125,000 of those, but that's, that's a very small number. And uh, so the way that shakes out is uh, like in Illinois, uh, what we do is, in the project, we build a scorecard where we evaluate those four tenants and look for each category and find, you know, what is there in the data. You know, not not us checking, not us going door to door and and figuring out if these people are real or not. It's just what does the data tell us and what can we see as it compares to the law, both state law and then these two federal uh, laws that are actually civil rights laws, uh, the. National Voter Registration Act of 1993 and the Help America Vote Act of 2002. So, like, for instance, in uh, Section 1, are the voter rolls accurate? We had, at the time, uh, this, we focused on the federal elections, so all this data was the 2022 election, since that was the most recent federal election. And uh, at that time, we had about 8.9 million registered voters. And in that registration, in that voter roll, we found uh, 4,032,000 and change uh, examples of what appear to be uh, registration violations or uh, state registration law violations. So yeah, that's a big number. So, and then some of the examples are kind of undeniable. There's 80,000 people who don't have a registration date at all. It's just blank. So if you don't know when a person registered, you don't know if they're eligible to register. So that that registration should just be considered invalid on its face. But those people are voting. They they're, they don't just exist, but they're actually voting. So and then more complicated things that, that make people think is the 2.8 million voters who have votes on their voting record that precede the registration date. So maybe. It, it, enormous example of horrible data management or maybe something else you know so it's stuff like that that adds up to that four million and then uh, we take that list of four million registration apparent registration violations and apply that to the 2022 election and uh, in it there were about 4.1 million votes cast in Illinois we had uh, 589,985 of those votes were the registrations that have those 4 million violations on them. So HAVA says we can have one in 125,000. So out of 4.1 million, that equals 33. So we were allowed to have 33 screwed up ballots and we had nearly 600,000. So that's just, you can't even have a conversation about that. It's nowhere close, you know? So, and then the, the easiest one that number three can we count? Did the number of votes counted equal the number of people who voted? And no, they didn't. So the official canvas and the actual votes that are in the database differ by 27,490. So those votes, 27,000 plus, nobody knows who cast those votes, but they were officially counted and our state board of elections certified that election. So that's sort of the angle is all those things I'm talking about, trying to get through it quick so it's not too painful reading through the numbers, is just 
either the state law, the, those two federal uh, pieces of federal civil uh, legislation, or the Constitution, because you know you have to be a citizen. Uh, okay. that, that's just the Fourteenth Amendment of the Constitution. So instead of getting all fancy with algorithms and explanations and bar charts that show why something can't be. We have plenty of examples of things that shouldn't be happening, but are. And there's people who are responsible for certifying these elections who shouldn't, but they are. So that's sort of the challenge. So it puts us in a place where we can go into a courtroom and say, hey, here's a bunch of things that look like they're violating the law. And when you say something like that, now a judge has something to look at and they're interested. At least that's our hope. If, if they're willing to listen, and that's uh, another issue altogether. But uh, um, Dr. Epstein, I, I, um, the reason I brought Ken and Jody into this discussion is because uh, they are only two more. We've, we've done, I don't know, probably two dozen shows on uh, election uh, anomalies and things that are just completely out of whack. And what we've really right. come to the conclusion is that we have gone, I think, 180 degrees from the most open and fair and honest election system in the world to one of the most convoluted, corrupt, and manipulated systems in the entire world. And why in the world are not there more individuals in government willing to get behind us and say, we need to straighten this mess out? Years ago, I, I was working with the Carter Center, uh, which had been set up by President Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind, uh, you know, after he uh, became a private citizen, was no longer president. And the Carter Center uh, uh, monitors and certifies uh, election integrity around the world and countries around the world. And uh, they do it in all kinds of ways. They do it with exit polling and they look at the statistics and so on. And, you know, uh, I said, do you do that in the U.S.? I asked him and he said, no, nope, we don't do it in the U.S. I said, why not? He said, because the, the U.S. doesn't qualify, he said. As a, as a country which is even attempting, which is even attempting to meet minimum standards of election integrity. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So I and I just I just want to say also that uh, I uh, because of the work I do I've I I I've not met you folks before and and it's very nice to meet you both. Uh, but I have been working with uh, Cleta Mitchell, who's involved with a big election integrity uh, operation, and has yeah. been trying. I mean, with incredible vigor to help raise funds uh, for our uh, our digital shield. Uh, she, you know, she knows how how important the the you know the tech companies are now in 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 the the battle for election integrity. Uh, and I've met I've met a lot of people from different election integrity uh, groups. And I think what what you're doing is extremely important. It's extremely important. I. I also, having said that, and I mean that from my heart, I also have to point out that, that what I have stumbled onto is much scarier. What what every single thing you just told us is is scary as hell. Okay, because it means just like 
Carter told me, it means there's something wrong with our system. There's something fundamentally wrong uh, with, uh, you know, how we how we count votes, how we register voters, how we keep track. Uh, Absolutely true. Um, But what I've been what I've stumbled onto is something very different and I think even scarier. Let me explain why. It's because a lot of the the kinds of a, a lot of the types of voter fraud that the people have been discussing have been uh, 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 documenting. Uh, they're inherently competitive, which means yes, they some of them just might <clears throat> might be accounting errors, of course, but there's definitely some skullduggery here. There's definitely some dirty tricks being played. <clears throat> now, if you go back into into our history, you'll find that there's always there have always been horrible, dirty, dirty tricks. The, the Kennedy's election, uh, President John F. Kennedy's election, highly suspect because of Illinois, mm-hmm. because Chicago. of Chicago. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, I think, Mayor Daley at mm-hmm. the time. So, oh, yeah. you you know, you don't even have to go farther than Chicago to find uh, all kinds of very, very suspect kinds of things that were being done. Uh, and, you know, which which probably uh, were, were needed for Kennedy to become president, by the way. So you go back farther in time. Again, you can just stay in Chicago and count up. The, the number of votes that were being bought by candidates in the early 1900s. I mean, people were just lining up by the thousands, lining up by the thousands to get, you know, a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, literally for their vote. That's also Chicago. Yeah. So dirty tricks have always been there, but the problem with them is they're inherently competitive. They're, in other words, both sides are doing every little underhanded thing that they can do. Right. And sometimes they have access to different types of dirty tricks. So uh, uh, re- Republicans these days, the, the, you know, they've been fighting in the courts because of gerrymandering in, in the red states. So that's you know, that's easier because there are a lot more red states than blue states. That's easier at the moment for Republicans to do. Democrats, they've got a bunch of tricks, too. I I attended a speech uh, just a few months ago given by the um, senator. Oh, my God. What's his name now? I'm forgetting his name. But big group in Orange County, California, very red uh, county, very, very red county. And this is a Republican senator. Uh, Danes, Senator Danes, uh, and he gave a speech and he he said, you know, we've learned from the 22 elections, 2022 elections, we've learned that the Democrats have gotten really good at ballot harvesting. And he explained what that was about. And he, then he said, we've got to get better at ballot harvesting, OK, because they're doing it really well now. We've got to do it, too. So. What I've stumbled onto is very different in the sense that there's only one Google. And if Google wants to support one party or one candidate, you can't see what they're doing. And 
you cannot counteract what they're doing. And what they're doing is on such a large scale that it can not, it can not only shift 80,000 votes here and there, it can shift tens of millions of votes with no one knowing what they're doing mm -hmm. and without leaving a paper trail, except for now the kind of monitoring systems that we've set up. But again, we're the only group doing this kind of monitoring. Right. Now, I, I so again, I want to mm -hmm. finish my comments here by with what I started with, which what, what you folks are doing is extremely important. Okay, this country is very weak when it comes to election integrity. We need more election integrity. We need any election integrity. But what I've stumbled onto is different. It's it's a new kind of manipulation made possible by the Internet that was never possible before. And it introduces very large scale manipulations that people can't see that don't, generally speaking, leave a paper trail and they can shift millions of votes. Do you know, for example, on election day itself, if Google or Facebook decides to send out go vote reminders just to members of one party? Right. You know yeah. how many votes on that day alone, how many votes that can shift? Because Google's homepage, which is where they put the go vote reminder, Google's homepage is seen 500 million times a day. Right. in the United States. If they are sending out go vote reminders, mainly or just or exclusively to members one of party. one party, right. that day alone, that will give an additional at least 450,000 votes to one candidate with yeah. no one knowing that they did that. And not only that, okay, Chicago, thousands of people lined up to get their $5 to buy their vote. How much does it cost Google to do that manipulation on election day? Not Zero. Right. It costs them nothing. Mm -hmm. And this is what we're, this is what I've stumbled <laughs> onto, and it's really frightening. Well, and 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 Dr. Epstein, that's the reason I wanted uh, Jody and Ken to come on because they are. IT people. They actually work in the field. And I wanted you to uh, uh, kind of get a, a sense of one another because what you're saying is so absolutely true. And we are being influenced in so many ways. Look at the look at how many young people are literally on their devices constantly. It isn't uh, a, a little man manipulation. It's their their whole life is on their device. They're walking around uh, like zombies, looking at that screen. Right. Right. Well, they're carrying surveillance devices. They're carrying the oh. most powerful surveillance devices that have ever been uh, invented. And mm -hmm. I, I want to, uh, for people interested in this issue. I want to suggest that you look at an article of mine. It's at the website, myprivacytips.com, myprivacytips.com. And it begins with the following sentence. Uh, I have not received a targeted ad on my mobile phone or computer since 2014. And that's true. Wow. That's so cool. in other words, 
I use the internet a little differently than most people do. All, my whole staff uses the internet in a way that protects our privacy. Uh, my phone, your phones are listening to every single thing you're saying and transmitting that information either to the Apple company or to Google or to other companies too. There are, believe it or not, some of the apps that you put on there from other companies, they're also listening. And my phone is a secure phone. So it does not listen. I can't use it uh, as a navigator because it doesn't, tra it doesn't track location either. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but what I'm saying is that people need to, people need to kind of get up to speed on what I call digital hygiene. Okay. They, mm -hmm. they really need to learn what's going on here. Google is not just surveilling you through Gmail, which you should never use. Again, it's a surveillance platform. Uh, through the Google Google search engine, through the Android operating system, which is Google, uh, through the videos you watch on YouTube, which is Google, they're not. They're actually surveilling us through more than four hundred different plat. Excuse me, I said that wrong. More than two hundred different platforms, most of which people have never even heard of. That's how that's how aggressive their surveillance is. So people need to start learning about this, not just the election integrity issues, which are so important for our nation, for our democracy, but they need to learn about how to protect privacy too, because the surveillance has gotten completely out of hand. There's never been surveillance possible like the surveillance that exists now. And it's mm -hmm. terrifying. All the stuff that we study, that my group studies, it scares the heck out of every one of us every single day, but we do it because it's important. Agreed. Well, absolutely. Well, um, I've got a, a, a friend. He's become a really good friend. His name is Michael Rechtenwald. I don't know if you have met Michael, but he is a former NYU professor. He was forced into early retirement because he started speaking out against free speech zones and uh, uh, political correctness and uh, fascinating guy. He started out, he actually, uh, he called himself the Marxist professor, but uh, he, he became, now he's the libertarian candidate for, uh, for president in 2024. And uh, Michael wrote a book called uh, Google Archipelago, and he's been on my program a number of times talking about how Google, he literally, they were paid by uh, the CCP in China to create the surveillance, uh, surveillance grid system that they have in place in China, and they stated openly that it was going to be a pattern for the rest of the world. They were going to uh, create a software program that was such a uh, complete surveillance state that it could be used worldwide. That's uh, That adds fuel to what you're saying, uh, Dr. Epstein. Well, absolutely. And I, I wrote a piece uh, for U.S. News and World Report. This is before I got um, banned by mainstream media, thanks to Hillary Clinton. Uh, that's that's <laughs> another story. Uh, but I, I wrote a, a piece for U.S. News and World Report, a big investigative piece called The New Censorship. And it was about nine of Google's blacklists. So they, they do a lot of blacklisting. And I wrote about nine of these lists. Now, I had never seen them. 
uh, Google never admitted to the to having such lists. And so that was published in 2016. If you go to the newcensorship.com, you can get to that piece I wrote for again US News and World Report. So I'm talking about these blacklists and how they work. I, I know they exist because I'm a programmer. So I mean I know they have to exist. It's a very efficient way to introduce bias into your content is is just to have blacklists and whitelists and add names onto these lists. And it's a written and the program just simply checks the list before it it displays anything. It's a very, very efficient way of, uh, of controlling people. So that was 2016. 2019, I'm testifying before Congress. Right before me, a high-ranking Google executive is under oath, and he's asked under oath uh, by one of the senators, I think it was Josh Hawley, does Google have any uh, blacklists? And this man under oath says, uh, no, Senator, we do not. Okay, so he's just denying it under oath. A couple weeks later, Zach Voorhees leaves Google. He's he's the he's done the most damage to them of, the, of any of the whistleblowers. He had been a uh, senior software engineer there for over eight years. And he walks out of the company with 950 pages of documents and a video which he put into a box and sent at the time to Bill Barr, the attorney general of the United States. Okay. Google sent a SWAT team after Zach. Wow. There's a, there's, there's an amazing uh, a photograph of Zach on the street with his hands raised to heaven, terrified out of his mind, surrounded by, by SWAT members. But the point is that among those documents that Zach took from Google, Google were three documents that were labeled blacklists. Now, and there they were, and there were the lists, and there were all the organizations and all the people on the list. And now, if, if, think of, think of the arrogance, think of the arrogance here. They're not only denied that they have such lists, but they actually label these lists blacklists. If I were blacklisting people and I were making lists inside of my company, I wouldn't call them blacklists. I would call them, I don't know, shopping lists or something. I would not call them blacklists. So that's the kind of arrogance. It's, it's, it's extreme power and extreme arrogance. It's hubris, really. I mean, they feel that they have the ability to re-engineer humanity, that they know how to do it. They know what's best for all of us around the world, and they're doing it. Mm -hmm. right. right. I remember seeing that. I remember hearing and then i remember weeks later that happening and i remember thinking to we were talking about it and thinking to myself how what is going on here at what point can you lie in front of congress and then get away with it and you know americans really need i don't know are we paying attention yet i mean i guess that's the conversation he and i have right, all not. the time we're clearly not well, obviously, that's why we're doing programs like this, because right. that's our responsibility. Our job is to bring truth to Americans. And frankly, the only way that'll ever happen is with people like yourselves and uh, Dr. Epstein. I, uh, you know, this is the kind of information that if people would just share all this information I mean, we should be so outraged right now that we are literally uh, holding people absolutely accountable and big companies like Google should be going broke. Well, you know, Ken and Jody, I have to compliment you 
in particular on, on one aspect of what you're doing. You are collecting data and you're doing it as, as you go along, you're doing it uh, in, in more rigorous ways. You're collecting more and more data and your goal is to get to the point where you have data that are court admissible. So now the system we're building, we have court admissible data so far in 15 states. Now that's not enough to get Google to back off from the 2024 presidential election. So we're trying to expand our system as quickly as we can. But that's that's got to be part of the problem here, or part of the solution, I should say, is, is us coming up with data that cannot be ignored by the courts, even if even if the American public still doesn't get it, okay, fine, fine, you know, whatever they they like just living their life blindly, blindly or blind. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Maybe was maybe we can't solve that problem, but we can certainly collect enough data in a, in a way that it is uh, that will be accepted by the courts and that cannot not be ignored by the courts. And that's what our goal is. Our goal is to eventually have court admissible data in all 50 states. And we already know that if we can do that, Google will back off. How do we know that 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 will happen? Because in 2020, right before the election, our data were so strong showing how votes were being manipulated in the presidential election. Again, more than 6 million votes uh, sent to Joe Biden by by Google alone. Uh, that I decided to go public. So I contacted a reporter at the New York Post. Uh, this was on uh, October 29th or October 30th, right before the election. Uh, she was absolutely stunned by the information I sent her. She wrote an incredible piece. She, you know, she got the assignment from her editor. She read me portions of the piece. This was just a few weeks after they had gone public with the, the story about the Hunter Biden laptop. So they they were, you know, gung ho, you know, that was front page, big story, big breakthrough for them. And they were ready to go ahead with the story about rigging the presidential election. That was going to be their front page uh, right before the election. Uh, On October 30th, her editor made a call to Google. Well, you, 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 that's part of the process. That's pretty standard. You know, it, it, it's for fat, fact checking. It's pretty standard. Lo and behold, uh, later that day, Friday, October 30th, right before the election, I get a call from the reporter who wrote the piece. And she says, you're not going to believe this, but they just killed the story. Wow. Now, this would have been for them an even bigger story than the Hunter Biden laptop story. And they killed the story after talking to someone at Google. So what on earth is going on? I mean, I, I was I was so upset. She was so upset and she got fired shortly after. And then the editor got fired. But the point is, what's going on here? What's going on here is this. At that time, the New York Post was getting about three percent of its traffic from Twitter so they could complain when Twitter suppressed the Hunter Biden laptop story. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because Twitter really didn't make much difference to them in terms of traffic or business. But 45% of their traffic was coming to the New York Post from Google. Google. Mm-hmm. So when Google uh, expressed some uh, objections to them going ahead with the story, they killed the story. Can you imagine that? They killed the story. That's how terrified even the press is 
of Google. So I sent all that stuff to Senator Ted Cruz's office. And on November 5th, 2020, November 5th, two days after the election, Cruz and two other senators sent a very threatening letter to the CEO of Google, two pages long, summarizing Epstein's data. You can actually see the letter on the Senate stationery if you go to letter to googleceo.com. <laughs> I have I have domain names for everything. Letter to googleceo.com and you actually see the letter that they sent. On that same day, November 5th, 2020, I'm trying to explain here why monitoring is so important because on that same day, November 5th, 2020, that night Google shut off all of their manipulations, their election manipulations in Georgia, which was which was gearing up for two Senate runoff elections in early January. We saw them turn off all the manipulations because we had more than a thousand field agents in Georgia, all over Georgia. We preserved more than a million ephemeral experiences in Georgia, and we saw them turn off the manipulations. Bias in Google search results went to zero which we had never seen, ever. Well, that demonstrates intent as well. I of mean, course. Awareness. And they stopped sending those partisan go vote reminders in Georgia. They stopped sending go vote reminders to everyone in Georgia, period. Wow. So what does that tell us? That tells us that we're on the right track. And I'm by we, I mean you, Ken and Jody, and me, and our host, <laughs> we are on the right track because if you make them accountable with data, not anecdotes, anecdotes only go so far. Anecdotes and innuendo, sorry, they don't impress me. But if you if you make them accountable, you know, with actual data that you're collecting on a large scale, you've collected in legitimate ways from legitimate sources, you know what you're doing, you make them accountable, which they've never been. You make them accountable to the to the American public. You make them accountable to in our court systems. They will back off. They will stop because you know what? They can still make billions of dollars. They do not have to be messing with the minds of our kids and with our elections. They can still make billions of dollars and leave us alone. Right. I wanted to say, make a comment. It's not just here in Illinois, what we're doing. There's actually 26 states, 26 states that are. I don't know if you just signed on, so we're probably right. a little more than that. We may be more than 26 now doing exactly the same thing. Uh, the score, everything's replicated. And so we are seeing, obviously, the same same patterns and numbers in all these states. And, um, you know, it is demonstrating a pattern. It is broad and it is across all the states that are working on their scorecards. And so, you know, like you, we agree that we're building we're, we're building momentum for something that that from a legal perspective should should speak loud and clear in terms of what's really happening. We do also understand we're here to educate the public in terms of what the truth is. And right. um, Ken and Jody, would you explain scorecard um, to, to the viewers? This is a new audience. We, we uh, sure, sure. did our other program on Brighton TV. So this is a okay. new audience. Sure. So the, the scorecard is just a, um, a 
format to try to help us communicate a lot of information in uh, hopefully an easy to understand package. So like I said, we have those four tenants. So there's one section in the scorecard for each of the tenants. And uh, one and two are where things get wordy and complicated because you know, you've got 4 million uh, apparent registration violations, but in order for people to accept that as a serious number, it's so big, we break it down into some line items that explain what's what. So I'd mentioned earlier the 2.8 million voters who have votes on their uh, history prior to their registration date. We have, uh, you know, birth dates are also left blank for I think about 60,000 registrations. So we don't know their age at all. Then there's uh, crazy anomalies between registration date and birth date. So we have uh, one person in Illinois who shows having registered on January 3rd of 1903. So that would make that person 144 if they were 18 at that uh, time. But uh, <laughs> according to the registration, the gentleman is uh, 58. So one of those two fields is wrong. And that's probably the registration date since no one, you know, the oldest person in the country, I think, is about 114. So if there were a 144-year-old walking around, I think we'd all know about it. So there's stuff like that where, uh, you know, I get typos occur, but we have people registered so far in the future. Uh, the latest year uh, for a registration date is the year 9,390. Right. So it's it, egregious. It'd be one thing if that number you could look at it and go, oh, I see they're typing 1995 or something and it turned into this, but there, no, nothing turns into 9390. That makes any kind of sense. So, uh, so that's what the scorecard is and, and what it's about. And then the reconciliation. And then, uh, right. And then we have a reconciliation report that's uh, even more distilled information that just kind of lines things up like an accountant would, where we look at higher level categories and show that, you know, here's the voter role and here we've put everything in a category. And, you know, it's worth mentioning, there's 4.2 million registrations that appear to be completely valid. So, you know, we're not just looking at all the bad stuff, we're reporting the good stuff too. Uh, but sadly, in the end, you know, that, that report is about uh, error rates. So our voter role error rate is 38% in Illinois. And then in the uh, 2022 election, the vote uh, count error rate is 14%. So, you know, that becomes uh, maybe an easier conversation for a person who who gets uh, margin of victory and an error rate. So we have uh, our governor, our attorney general, they did not win their election by 14%. So their margin of victory, smaller than the error rate, how do we know they really won? We don't. Right. But again, it was certified. So, and it's funny, you know, we're talking a lot uh, about the power of Google, and a lot of that is uh, they're searing perceptions. You know, they're, they're crafting perceptions. They're making people feel certain things. And it's, uh, it is, that is a scary thing. And it's particularly scary for us when we're wading through this data and watching the GOP or watching the media they're doing it with this election data. You know, they're sharing ideas like, uh, we just need more voters. Well, 15 years ago, if you exceeded a 55% turnout in a federal election, people would start scratching their head thinking something's up. Now we have 75% turnout. And we have the party saying, we just need to get more voters. Like, we're so beyond the mark of 
what looks like a fraudulent election already, and they're telling us the way to fix it is to get more people to come out. Right, or they say that comment, we just need to learn how to ballot harvest like like the Democrats. I mean, there's so many, you know, strange things that are being said, and a lot of it is steering perception. We, even our own state's GOP was at a Lincoln Day and stating that we have fine election integrity in Illinois. You know, it's, then people all hear that and think, okay, you know, and we're here trying to say, wait, hold up. Mm-hmm. You know, here's what's really going on, at least with the registrations and that 38% that's on our reconciliation sheet during the voter, when we were giving people their, when they were coming up to us and asking for their voter histories and we were sitting with them and seeing the anomalies, um, a lot of people would say, I want to know, is my my deceased mother or father voting? You know, a lot of these conversations we've heard for decades, especially in Illinois. And so um, what I would tell them now that we've done that reconciliation sheet is 38, you have 38% of these registrations are bad. So you have a really good chance that something is happening, you know, you know, to your, you know, uh, voting history or voting record or registration. So, you know, again, trying to reach every person to tell them this matters, you know, really matters. And let me just mention here that we are working with a prominent, uh, Washington DC lawyer. I can put you in touch with him. And uh, we're working on preparing a a formal complaint that will go to the Federal Election Commission uh, based on data that we collected in the 2022 midterms. And, you know, uh, if and when you feel you're ready, uh, you know, I I would strongly recommend that. I think it's actually free to file. Uh, The FEC doesn't really have any power, but they can get you a lot of attention. And... uh, you know, attention here is essential. We've got to get some attention. Uh, so, uh, you know, let me know, and uh, I'd be happy to put you in touch with uh, with him if uh, if you feel that an FEC complaint would help you at some point. All right. That'd be something we probably discussed with the national team. So United right. States of America is really is driven by Marley Hornick and Harry Howery out of New York. And uh, the strategy that we're following is more of a, uh, state by state, you know, we're going after the people. You, know, you, you always need a a doer. You know, who's done the deed that you're bringing into court and challenging? So in this case, it's whichever election authority for that state has certified that election. So for us, we have an election commission. Some states have just their secretary of state uh, signs off on it. But uh, that's that's sort of where our strategy is at now for this this first phase or first round. But certainly that would be something that we could consider. And uh, we're really, um, you know, at this point, Illinois has, has worked through all of their numbers. So at this point, we're uh, also going around and sharing uh, with each county, uh, visiting county board meetings and sharing with them uh, a snapshot of some of the findings because it's just too much to, to share in, a, in one load. It's overwhelming. And uh, we have a, a resolution that we are asking the county boards to sign that essentially uh, is an opportunity for them to stand with us and demand uh, a legal valid uh, election in 24, you know, demanded of the state. So uh, that's uh, a great uh, 
activity to be involved in. We've done, I think, seven or eight seven counties so far. Right. So we're, we're trying to get through as many as we can before uh, the primary. But uh, it's interesting. Uh, we've had a couple of county clerks come back and ask and, and want to understand, wow, those numbers you just said, you know, of course, they're in disbelief. And, the, and their first thing is a little bit of a defensive attitude concern that, you know, we're kind of accusing them of, of wrongdoing. And it's really more about just the, the manner in which our elections are being administered is, is uh, unacceptable, you know, and, and because we're not following the law and because ultimately the state is responsible for that uh, driving uh, that effort and making sure the counties are doing the right thing, it, it really falls on them. So once we get through that little bit of uncomfortableness, uh, we've had some uh, county clerks that are very receptive and wanting to engage and, and talk with us. So it really, uh, so far has been a very positive uh, endeavor and then if uh, anybody wanted to uh, join us, uh, we are looking for volunteers. Uh, so you can go to uniteforfreedom.com. That's unite, the number four, freedom.com, and volunteer there. And uh, if you're not in Illinois, that's okay. Like Joey said, there's uh, groups, and uh, we, we also are wanting to have uh, this be a nationwide effort and have a team in every state. We're not quite there yet, but we're growing fast. So whatever state you're in, you'll be routed to the team. And if there isn't a team yet, maybe you'll be approached to be the team. Right. So, and, uh, you know, there's a lot to do. And uh, Right. We have 106 jurisdictions, 102 counties. We've, we've managed to get through seven. So yeah. we would love people who really would like to send the message and have the opportunity to open the door for these clerks to have an open discussion and get involved in fixing this. Because we, we really want you know, we want to try to turn this around if we can before 24. Um, and we're working really hard to try to get to that, to that well, space. We're, we're, we're at a point right now where there are millions of Americans that realize we've got a problem. And that's why we're trying to do uh, programs like this. If you realize we've got a problem and you realize that we're losing our country what choice do we have but to volunteer and be part of this effort? And that's exactly, and Dr. Epstein, what you said about the attorney, I will, uh, offline, I will get that information from you and I will share it with uh, the national group uh, and, and see if we can help with that because we are building a foundation here, a groundwork legally that it's going to be impossible for them to ignore if we do it the right way. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Dr. Epstein, I want to give you the last uh, last word, uh, if you wouldn't mind, about Google and about how important it is for people to get off of, and you convinced me, I just switched over to Proton Mail. Uh, uh, I, we, we don't realize just exactly how bad the system is and why we need to switch over. I'm going to just quickly toss out a few few uh, websites and a couple of uh, just general comments then. Uh, and I really appreciate, by the way, really appreciate your uh, giving me this time and in fact uh, you know introducing me uh, especially to Ken and Jody too and the good work that they're doing 
But let me mention a few things. First of all, our basic research is continuing to find very disturbing things. So one of the pieces of research that we're just finishing up is on what we call DPE or digital personalization effect. Uh, now, I think if you go to digitalpersonalizationeffect.com, I'm pretty sure there's something there, and so at least something there right now. Uh, there's going to be a lot more at, at some point. What is this about? This is about the personalization aspect of things. And I'm going to just very, very briefly explain the bottom line here on what we've discovered. We've known now for more than a decade that if Google is showing you content that's biased on a topic where you haven't made up your mind, they can shift a lot of people. They can push people off the fence whichever direction they want to go in. And unfortunately, that can determine the outcomes of many, many elections. Uh, Google, we just, we, as of 2015, we are already calculated that Google was determining the outcomes of upwards of 25% of the national elections in the world. Wow. So we're talking about uh, enormous power just with biased, uh, biased content. But this new work we're doing on personalization has really opened our eyes because in one group, people are seeing biased content. In another group, they're seeing the same biased content, but we're sending it to them from news sources that they say that they trust. Mm. So we're doing what Google actually really does, and that is we're sending not just biased content, but we're personalizing it. We're, we're making it, we're giving it an extra layer of authenticity because we're personalizing it. We're sending it from news sources that people trust. So in other words, we're pasting in you know, the logos and so on from those news sources. And is there a difference in the two groups? Well, yes. In the first group, we're getting shifts in voting preferences of 20% or so, which is kind of the minimum we always hit. In the personalized group, we are getting shifts of over 70%. Oh, wow. And that's what Google is actually doing. They're not just sending us biased content. They're personalizing it. They're, they know what we consider to be you know, true and false and credible and believable. So, I mean, as the basic research continues, it gets scarier and scarier and scarier. And we're realizing that these companies have more power than we ever even suspected. We're also doing research now on what happens if we present the same group of people with similarly biased content, but not just once, but over and over. And when we do it over and over and over again, the numbers go up and up and up. And that's what really happens in the real world. They're not just hitting you once. They're hitting you many times over a period of weeks or months before an election with similarly biased content. Uh, this is called MEE or the multiple exposure effects. If you go to multipleexposureeffect.com, there should be something there and there's going to be a lot more. So basic research getting scarier and scarier as time goes on. That's one thing I want to say. Mm -hmm. Second, if you're interested in protecting your privacy, please look at my article at myprivacytips.com. That could change your life. It could change the lives of your children. Myprivacytips.com. Don't take all the surveillance for granted. Don't give up on privacy. You can protect your privacy and still use tech. 
That's what I do. So it can be done. And finally, if you want to help help us build our monitoring system to be larger and larger so that we have court admissible data in more states because we have we're getting data now from all 50 states 24 hours a day but we only have court admissible data in 15 states if you want to help us make this system much larger please go to feedthewatchdogs.com feedthewatchdogs.com or take a look at the America's Digital Shield, and there's a link there you can use to donate. We need people to step up and commit to, to donating $25 a month. It's fully tax deductible because we're, we're a 501c3 public charity. And we need people to step up. We need tens of thousands of people to step up and sponsor our watchdogs, our field agents. And that's how we can make this system sustainable over time so that we can permanently, permanently make these companies accountable to the public, force them to stop messing with our elections and messing with the minds of our children. A wonderful statement. Well, I we are a little bit over time, but I want to uh, Dr. Epstein, I want to thank you, and I will be in touch with you via Proton Mail. I'll get that information on the attorney in the D.C. area, and then I'll pass that along to uh, the the other group. So, and we need to share information. We need to work together. We need to understand we're losing our country together. The only way we're going to win our country back is together. We need to do it together. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea, from Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. 